1: Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi forbes Ista, and today we have a wonderful guest. She's joining us from New York. This is Susan McPherson. She's a serial connector and the founder and CEO of a social impact consultancy, McPherson Strategies. Welcome, Susan. Well, thank you, Heidi. I'm thrilled to be here. So we met just recently over in uh, Warsaw, of all places, at a conference called Masters and Robots. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound like something that social impact and the relationship with technology <laughs> people
2: would be there for, but wow, what an amazing conference, wasn't it? It was, indeed, and I, I got a few um, laughs from people wondering if it was an S&M conference, um, but I had no <laughs> it was actually technology and technology. And- artificial intelligence and how people are using technology today for everything and anything.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing and I mean even the funny thing is, you know, I'm sort of a serial connector in my own right and so it was qu- kind of amazing to be sitting there on, a, on the couch in the green room and we discovered all the different overlapping in our own in our own network. So I think we we get to see that there is, you know, the world is a small
2: place no matter where you go from and oh. uh, it's pretty exciting. And it's getting smaller. I mean, I joke sometimes that we're all third cousins. Um, and and given that, we should, first of all, we should never anyways, but never speak ill of anyone because inevitably you are connected to that person.
1: Absolutely. Or if you're not, somebody else is that you're yeah. close to. Yeah. <laughs> You never know who it's going to get back to, right? Indeed. Yeah. So I would love to just get right into it with you. I think there's some really cool stuff that you're doing and um, with your social impact stuff, you know, for for our listeners, they're, you know, they want to talk about or they want to learn more about how technology, how they can evolve their relationship with technology and how that might impact their business. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with social impact stuff, there's so much that you can do with technology because your reach is so much bigger. Mm -hmm. So I would love it if you would sort of share with us how your relationship with technology has changed over the years and how that might have changed the way that you do business or the way that you connect people.
2: Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's twofold, obviously, from a personal perspective. um, And then there's the work that we do that desperately needs to live on social platforms and technology platforms to actually move the needle, right? I mean, if a tree falls in the woods and you're not there, who's gonna, you know, who's gonna know? But I, I'll start with, with the personal side first. Um, when I was in high school and college, I was known as now what you would say somebody doing social media before social media. Um, I was sharing articles, ripping them out of newspapers and putting them in the, you know, postal mail, U.S. mail, and mailing them off to friends that didn't live in my home down. And for the friends that did, I would just cut them and, you know, save the articles until I would see them. So obviously, with the advent of email <laughs> and the internet, it completely, um, you know, updated that that habit. So it was a very natural move for me. And I credit a lot of my Business connections and certainly the growth of, of, McPherson strategies, which is our consultancy with using social media platforms effectively. But what I could do early on was something I think that helped me. And that was, um, listen twice as much as I speak, uh, which obviously isn't going to be the case on this, on this podcast, but use Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and all these means to actually, um, Mine data and 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 find out interesting tidbits about people rather than just talk about myself or my clients. And I equate it to the fact that we have two ears in one mouth, so therefore we should be listening twice as much as speaking. And I take that to the platforms. So um, you know, when when uh, you know, and I'll take Twitter for example. When Twitter launched, um, I got on it early, which uh, was certainly a good thing, and created something called CSR Chat, which stands for Corporate social responsibility chat. And basically it was a Twitter chat that used that hashtag and then actually brought people together in the corporate social impact space. And by being a convener, you end up being a person who is remembered, who is acknowledged, who's in, you know, invited to the room where it happens. And I started that in 2010, which, you know, seems like it will it's almost it'll be a decade. Soon. Um, but it still has a life of its own. And I, I sometimes call it an albatross because I can't get rid of it and I make no money. off. But I do it because I love connecting NGOs and corporations and high net worth individuals, because when you bring all those people together, you can actually affect positive change. Now, when you take me out of the equation and just look at social movements over the years, um, you know, move on was one of the first ones that comes to mind that actually really took advantage of using technology to reach out to do grassroots fundraising, grassroots advocacy. And they were really you kind know, of the first ones. And then they set the bar, and all of a sudden you have lots of other political advocacy. But then you also had social movements. I mean, look at, look at Bono and, and the Global Fund and what they've done with Red. And that's all technology-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, it's almost like if you, you can't fundraise now unless you – have a network of high net worth individuals unless you are using technology, whether it's pushing buttons on sending a thousand emails or, you know, sending photos via Instagram. I mean, no NGO could survive without using technology. And I think
1: that you're, you're spot on there is that particularly in the fundraising space or just building a movement around things, if you're not in social media, there's no, play, there's no way for you to get access to the greater population of people. And that's really the best way to
2: get a and movement even, going. Well, and I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I was saying even beyond the social media component from technology perspective to do data mining to mm-hmm. find out the power that could be potentially um, uh, sympathetic and empathetic to a cause is done the same way advertisers find out who's going to buy you know, Rice Krispies or, that have cinnamon on them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, not, I serve on the board of um, the U.S. arm of the, uh, the U.N. High Commission for Refugees, and we needed to identify pockets of people in the United States that would have empathy towards refugees. So You immediately think of dysphora. You immediately think of those that came before that are then helping their family. But believe it or not, in doing some really deep data mining, we found out that it would be faith-based institutions, you know, the, the, the true, um, you know, believers in, 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 in Christ, et cetera. And, and then also, um, the Mormon church, huge, I mean, I guess that's faith-based, but, Big, big, big supporters of refugees. But again, that was technology that allowed us to under, uncover that kind of, um, you know, goldmine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And
1: how do you, I mean, because you've sort of observed this change over time. Mm-hmm. How do you think that that has impacted the change within organizations in terms of the da- dynamic of sort of, it used to be the technology group was just sort of, you know, they were managing how the, you know the machines worked basically, right. and now they're managing how people engage and how people interact and how we how we understand why and how they interact and so yes. the dynamic of how organizations
2: work, how have you observed it, that changing? Yes, I mean, I think it's mirrored every other industry right I mean I think if you look at travel, financial services, hospitality i mean every single industry technology is no longer kind of its own little silo. I mean, we're all technologists, right? I mean, you know, whether we do coding or we fix the, you know, the 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 copier, although I don't even think anybody copies anymore. So that's you No, know, but I mean, we used to have, I mean, now it is much more like bundled with innovation. And how are you going to remain competitive and how are you going to be, you know, uh, literally putting out the best product or you know, making the most impact on the cause that you're funding or supporting. So no, I, I think it's just like everywhere else. It means job security for people. It means um it means nonprofits have to fundraise even more because they have to be able to afford these types of people that, you know, command a higher salary than a traditional, you know, nonprofits fundraiser who's had three or four years of fundraising experience. Mm-hmm. And and it's also, I mean, there's, again, so I, I wish I could say it was separate from everything else, but I think it's part and parcel.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you felt that change as well for your own practice? And have you changed as an individual in the way that you engage with people
2: because of that transition? Um, well, because we primarily focus on the communications of social impact, so we'll work with corporations on how they message and talk about the good that they are doing, as long as, of course, it is authentic and, and, and meaningful. Uh-huh. Uh, and there is something about the written word that is still vitally important. So I will say that, um, you know, yes, we've changed in the sense that things have to be tighter, shorter. Things should be written with brevity. Um, the distribution channels may be a bit different. You know, in, in the past, we would maybe 10 years ago, only focus on going to the media to tell the story. Now, you know, we find influencers that have massive followings. We, um, you know, we will do specific campaigns with hashtags to get other followings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. We'll, we'll also do a lot more with video than we would have in the past. Um, and, you know, not to mention Snapchat and Instagram and, you know, some of these other platforms. Um, you know, very, very image driven. When I was growing up, I would wait two weeks to get my photos after I took them and then you'd get the mail and it would be the most exciting thing. And then half of them you'd throw away because they were so bad. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my God, like, people today, everything is instantaneous, instant
1: gratification. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it changes the way that we consume things, because we're like,
2: oh, shh, throw it away. Yeah. Oh, shh, take another one. Which like, is not good for our planet. Um, thankfully, well, you know, it's a good thing digital doesn't end up in the the land, um, landfill, although the, the technology does, the the phones and everything else, so... and. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're always encouraged to continue buying new phones and new. So it's something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so on a on a personal level, do you are are you constantly changing your technology, or do you find that you sort of found what works and you stick with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I try. I. I force myself to keep current um, because I don't want that old woman who, you know, is still like, oh, let's just watch black and white TV. You know, I mean, I, I make myself, like, keep up. I mean, I have to tell you, I don't gravitate towards Snapchat, but, you know, I definitely went the route of getting on Instagram, um, you know, getting, I mean, I got on Google+, but I, I don't really stay on it anymore. Um, but I, I try to stay relevant on all these things. But Twitter has been, and LinkedIn, and Facebook, for professional reasons, have been the most helpful, mm-hmm. to and for my team.
1: so on a personal basis, are there are there particular favorites of technologies or things that you do, or even you know routines and behaviors that you have around managing your technology that make things more work
2: more sp- seamlessly and fluidly sure. for you? Well, I'm, I'm as mentioned, Twitter is probably my number one where I go and where I find the most information and make the most connections. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't use um, it's not. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, it's not Hootsuite. The other one. Ah, Buffer? No. Um, TweetDeck. Of oh, course. Check. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Forgive me. Um, and I find that is such a way because I organize all my what I'm following and the hashtags in that way. Life is much similar you know much more simple um, i don 't spend as much time on Facebook the last few years just because I, I find it's very it 's not as um, searchable right mm-hmm. as and then news i mean i 've always been a voracious reader and consumer of news. I mean my first job out of graduate school was working for USA Today, which you know in the '80s revolutionized the news business I mean obviously the news business has changed a thousand times since. Mm-hmm. Then, But at the time, you know, it was it was revolutionary. First of all, bringing color. Second of all, a national newspaper. I mean, that was just unheard of because mm-hmm. of everything. Local. Um, but, you know, the, the new tech I mean, they were very much on the forefront of technology. But ever since then, I have always, you know, been current affairs geek, like, uh, you know, and so I still, you know, now set up various news feeds to follow. Um, and just somehow keep relevant. Um, I feel, though, that you miss a half hour and it's like the world changes. I mean, it's it's it, I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like, you know, in 20 or 30 years from now. But it also terrifies me because funding for journalism is drying up. And we are living in a time where, you know, you have people saying things are fake news that aren't, but there's no way to prove they're not. And that terrifies me.
1: Yeah, no I think that there's there's a lot to be said for that because it's you know because there there is so much that's crowdsourced and and that just comes you know yeah. people go to wikipedia for facts you know okay. and they may not be taking it with the filter of that this is you know these are not checked facts they right. are
2: you know they're Well, and you go to any newsroom today and the staff of fact checkers is minimal if not none and mm-hmm. That, that puts a lot of pressure on the writers and the writers aren't paid enough mm-hmm. to deal. I mean, it's, it's a vicious circle and, you know, and then inevitably mistakes happen. And then, then you point it and you say, Oh, they're terrible. But we put news pe- people in the news media on the same totem pole as Congress people. so Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. But in a, in a way, I mean, we have to put it into perspective. That's not necessarily the technology that's, that's no. uh, that's the problem. It's more the culture, the you know, the way the culture is shifting and that we have become so much more tied to different influencers rather than really, you know, making sure that whoever we're following actually really knows what they're talking about and they've been verified. Yeah. So, you know, it's easy to go with a shiny object, and I think maybe that comes along with, you know, that things are changing so quickly. We don't take the time to check.
2: No, no. And everybody's in a hurry and everybody's, you know, rushing to the next. I know. I
1: know. Yeah. I want to go back to the connecting piece because connection is so much a big part of what motivates me for the evolving digital self piece is that, you know, when we're connected and we understand, you know, what's going on. We can track what's going on and we can verify whether it's about our bodies and what's happening with our health or whether it's about what's going on with our communities and how we connect to them or what's going on in the whole world. Technology can really enhance that, you know, that experience and help yeah. us really understand. And so I'm just curious, what are your favorite technologies to use or do you even use any to one, uh, help you keep in track of what's going on for you and also how you how you use it to connect to uh, to your world and your sort of, you know, your network.
2: Well, this is going to sound awfully dull, but email and texting are my two biggest means of connection. Um, I, but I do still make phone calls, um, but I, do, I don't i do do it anywhere near as much as I did. Um, you know, I grew up in a time where we had party lines and, and call, call waiting and, and busy signals and everything else. Um, but I will say I absolutely use email to connect people. And, uh, you know, when I have a party at my home, I always connect everybody afterwards, except obviously removing a few people that may not like to have their emails shared. Um, But I find that, you know, if you come to my home, which I have many like um, book parties and and various events, I want to I want to make sure there's a community that forms because that's my goal. Right. I figure I figure that's at least some sort of vetting. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, of you know various like you know paperless posts and party invitations, I mean I have used all those. Again, I don't think of them as like big technology, uh, but you know just also I still actually write letters and I put yes. them in envelopes and I mail them. And you know, granted, they may never get read, but
1: <laughs> oh, but I think they do even more. I mean, there's something so wonderful about when you actually get like mail in your mailbox, in your physical mailbox, it just, it's so much more special, you know, the, of course, that's if it doesn't get caught in between all the flyers and things that, you know, and and you actually find it, you know, I think I check my mailbox only every third day because I don't, I get everything else electronically now, which is kind of sad. Do you use any uh, any well-being trackers or any meditation apps or any other things like that? Oh, I should. I
2: bought or I didn't buy it. One of the TEDs I was at a few years ago, they gave away headspace and I did and I used it, I, I used it twice. So oh, I, I'm terrible about that. And I probably need that more than anything. Cause I have such ADD, um, you know, I'm like, la, 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 la. And you know, I'm, I'm the one New Yorker who doesn't like yoga. I swear. <laughs> you're at a party and you say you don't like yoga, like you look like you just said, you know, I like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it is horrible. People are like, rare. How do you not like yoga? And I, I, I get bored and it, it clearly shows that, yes, I'm type A. Yes, I have high blood pressure. Um, yes, I'm always like, what's next? What's next? And that's just who I am. And I can't, I can't change. Um, but I'm not unhappy. I'm not like, uh, like this ball of stress. I mean, I enjoy what I do, which, is, which I think is what keeps me alive and sane. And I have the most wonderful friends in the world. And the work that we're doing is actually really rewarding. Yeah. So I figure the people who go to yoga and find so much solace may not be getting the high from other things.
1: Or that's where their high is. I mean, we're all so different and, yeah. and everybody needs to find their thing. And, and your thing that you get the high from is the connection with other people, it seems yes. like, and, and yeah. the ability yeah. to have impact. So, yeah. I mean, if that's what brings you well-being, who's to yeah. say that that's wrong or right? That's just your... That's your reality.
2: And and exploring and travel. And, and I just have always been so c- people curious. Um, what makes people happy? What motivates them? You know, th- that kind of stuff just fascinates me. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a very, not a nosy way, but in a way of just, I think it's a wonderful thing to be at an older age because you have so much more understanding when people are at different perspectives than I think when when you're younger and you think everybody thinks just like you, mm-hmm. so there's no reason to meet everybody. But then as you start to realize we are all so freaking different, I don't know if, if, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it totally makes
1: sense. I mean, I think one of the first lines in my book is you know, the anomaly is the norm. And I mean, it's just we're, we have to accept the fact that we're all very, very different. Yes, we have so many things in common. But the beautiful thing about it is we are all different. There's no two people that are exactly alike. And we're going to, you know, even identical twins. I have nieces that are identical twins. And they're such different personalities. Wow. But they
2: look
1: totally alike, are they? Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is they look exactly like my sister. Wow. So, you know, she now they're starting, you know, she has always looked sort of young and cute because she's sort of that preppy, cute look and now her daughters are starting to look more and more like her so it's like they're triplets
2: it's oh, great how old are they
1: uh, the twins are now 21 oh my god yeah
2: great age i know it is they're they're great kids but now i'm like 21 my god i can't even remember 21 i know <laughs> so sad
1: <laughs> so i have a funny question for you if you were able to you know if you were sort of looking 10 years ahead which, you know, in these days, with the way technology is moving 10 years ahead, is a long, long way.
2: Yeah.
1: How, what would be your wish in terms of what, you know, how technology would be able to change the way that we do things, or or maybe remain the same? What
2: would be your well, wish? One of my main hopes is that we replace um, fossil fuels with solar and wind technology. Yeah. Mm. Um, have the technology. We have the knowledge. We certainly know the benefits that that those new forms of energy will provide us and also will save us. And I I really hope that within the next 10 years, we make the switch because the planet is not going to survive if we don't. Um, That would be number one. A second would be, how do we use technology to raise um, the, the actual people at the base of the pyramid up so that they can be members of society, like truly, you know, contributing to, um, and benefiting from, uh, the economic in, infrastructures we've put together. And I, this makes me sound like such a poly, like, like a noble, but I mean, these are things that technology can, can really make a difference, right? Absolutely. I mean, and then third, I, I do a lot of, as mentioned earlier, a lot of advocacy and, and fundraising and um, um, visibility around the whole refugee crisis. There are now about 66 million people who are displaced around the planet. Um, and when I say displaced, they're either living in camps or they're on the run. And those people, in most cases, can't go back to their homes. So how can we figure out some ways, uh, some technologies that enables them to, to work to be able to be contributing members of whatever location they are being housed or they're stuck in until they can go home. And again, that's with the hope that maybe someday they can go home because that's what they want more than anything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, those would be three, three big buckets that I would like to see in the ten, next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, we have it, we have the technology, we have the wherewithal, and there's the money to actually implement it. When you look at this, this, you know, the millennials that are now ending up being billionaires from technology companies. So how do we galvanize all that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I would love to hear what, I mean, I think our listeners would probably really like to know because a lot of people feel like, Oh, well, social impact, that's like beyond me. And, and a lot of our listeners are, are entrepreneurs in their own Right and maybe want to have some way that they can dip their foot in giving back or making their businesses have some kind of a social impact in some way. Do you have information like that on your website, or is there tips that you can give to people that can help them think about how they might, in their own way, whether it's small or big, have some kind of a social impact and and actually help making some of those three wishes actually come to fruition?
2: you know it's interesting when um um the women's philanthropy institute 3 or 4 years ago came out with a study and they actually showed that that women who are earning the least actually give the most in terms of the percentage of their sal- of their income back to causes. Okay. So that, what that tells me is every single one of us can be a philanthropist. We don't have to be a millionaire. We don't have to be a billionaire. We don't even have to be, you know, a 50,000 because every little thing that you do can be a positive thing. If you are an entrepreneur and you're starting and you're creating a, a, a small business or starting out small, I always say it's better to turn a rowboat around. It's easier to turn a rowboat around than a cruise ship. So when you're building that small organization, Ask your, your, you know, 10 or 20 employees, what are they passionate about? Okay. And host a small fundraiser or have them volunteer or give them time off so that they can volunteer for those organizations. Okay. That's one little thing, but by you as the business owner, making that possible for them, not only are you making your employees happier and in essence, making them more productive, but you're giving back. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be this huge expenditure. Um, you know, you can look at your packaging. Are you, are you using the minimal, uh, materials to package the goods that you're selling? Are you, you know, recycling in your company? Are you not using 15 pieces of plastic every day that end up in our, in our, um, landfills and inevitably in the oceans? See, all these things are little that you can do. Um, we're coming up on an annual day of giving that was started five years ago called Six years ago called Giving Tuesday, which is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, which is was created for several fold. And I was part of the team that originally created it, which really, really proud of. Um, But, you know, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. These are all days to go out and spend money. And I'm all about spending money. It's good for the economy. But good Lord, there should be a day where we honor and support all those that are either trying to do good doing good or helping others do good. And that's what Giving Tuesday is. And if you want to find out anything about Giving Tuesday, you can go on and go to www.givingtuesday.org and you will see a thousand different opportunities to give back.
1: What so, a great yeah. suggestion. I love that. Giving <laughs> Tuesday. Well, so we'll make sure that we have all of that information in the yes. show notes because I think people are really, you know, that I find that really inspiring. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the overconsumption in our society and, and, uh, you know, yes, of course we need to, you know, we need to invest in our society and and consumption is good to a certain extent, but we also need to balance that out with the giving piece. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, and, and I, I do go back to that. You know, if you work for a company that you've, you feel could be more humane and could be doing some more around corporate social responsibility, voice your concerns, tell your HR department, tell your boss, um, it, you know, don't, it, it, this is the time now where companies are seeing that as they stand for something beyond just the business at hand, they are looked at, in. in, in they, they, they are held in higher esteem. They're able to hire better employees. They're able to keep those employees and if they are selling to the consuming public, they're going to do a better job selling their whatever they're selling, because people are going to look at them as more than just a widget manufacturer. Absolutely. My my bandw- my bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good
1: bandwagon to be on. We like that bandwagon. <laughs> now I see why you have a following. We have your, 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 your
0: Susan you. McPherson
1: uh, fan club. <laughs> Where do we join that? <laughs>
2: To our Facebook page? <laughs> yes. I will connect you with, I meant to do that. I'm sorry, I haven't. That's oh,
1: okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're all <laughs> wonderful people, so I look forward to connecting to them. And I really love what you have to say, and I think that, uh, you know, I am so excited in the, the potential that we have with technology to be able to really get your message out and get the type of work that you're doing to have much greater impact and, and reach a larger audience, because... Gosh, we just we just need it. We need more people working in that space, and and more people just changing their thoughts around. You know, how do we actually create things that you know that are having a positive impact on our planet and 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 the the greater community of us connected on the planet? So I think it's wonderful stuff. And uh, okay. can you just give us a little bit about how people find you and yes. can follow what you're
2: doing? Yeah. Well, first of all. You can send folks to my website, which is McPherson Strategies, and it's www.mcpstrategies.com. Okay. Also on Twitter, my hashtag is Susan MCP and the number one. So Susan MCP one. Um, Those would be the two best places to find me, and I can give you my email address too. It's Susan at mcpstrategies.com. Great. Well, I
1: hope our listeners will have a chance to check out what you're doing because it's really great stuff. And follow Susan and find out what she's doing. Maybe you can engage in some of her projects there. And definitely, we should all be thinking about what now. Can you just say the name of it again? That
2: Tuesday, Giving Tuesday? Tuesday. It's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. So Uh next Tuesday all day long. And you it's time for you to shout at the top of your lungs to the causes you feel the best you feel most positive about.
1: Great. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are listening to this after this, that, that date, that doesn't mean you don't have to do it. It means take the time to do it another day and make your own day yeah. to do it. Yeah. But, but well, I think
2: I say, every day is giving Tuesday. My late mother used to say every day was Mother's Day. It's not uh-huh, a like that. I I might have to
1: institute that in my house. (laughs) We should certainly have the Giving Tuesday, though. I like that one. And in the spirit of giving, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing with us today and for being part of our uh, Thanksgiving week uh, podcast interviews. And unfortunately, this will air after Thanksgiving, but that doesn't mean we're any less thankful. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and to share your thoughts, Susan. And bye bye for now folks. We look forward to you following the uh, Evolving Digital Self podcast later on and feel you know take the time to subscribe and hear more great stories coming up.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.